Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's the My First Gig Podcast. Whoa. Sharing stories of first gigs and shows. October, and the trees are stripped bare, of all they wear, what do I care? October, and kingdoms rise, and kingdoms fall, but you go on, and on. It's October, it's my first gig, it's me, Dwayne Dugan, welcome to the pod, thank you so much for joining. This has been, this is just getting better and better, isn't it? You know, whoever curates this podcast, I'm pointing at me right now, does a fantastic job. Every season's been great, but season three just has the bangers and the bangers and the bangers and the bangers. Hope you enjoyed Paul Smith last week. Hope you enjoyed everybody on the podcast this season. I'm loving season three. We're episode seven today of the 12 of this season, and today's guest is Lauren Patterson. Now, I do think I need to acknowledge this was recorded sometime in the late 1970s, or at least it feels that way, because this was recorded at the 2018 2019 Kilkenny Cat Laughs it was recorded some time ago and it's part of a group of podcasts that I lost in my hard drive that I have fixed now and I say fixed paid someone to fix it and got all these back so why waste them great interviews and I guess you know if I was like hey what are you getting up to tomorrow which sometimes we do in the little opening natter but for the most part, we're talking about their first gig, which, you know, should be a timeless thing. So it's uh, it's okay to dip into these stories because I guess these stories should still be the same. Uh, maybe some of these comedians have gotten better at writing, better at comedian inning, and will add some lies to their story. And sure, look, maybe we're missed out on that. But you know what? We won't give you better stories. We'll give you the truth. Uh, yeah, how was the podcast? Yeah, it wasn't great, but it was true. That's what we say. So today's guest, Lauren Patterson, Kilkenny Cat Laughs, we sat down. I think I think I referenced um, Kiri Pritchard-McLean in this because I had just finished Kiri's interview as, uh, as Lauren came in. It was, I'm pretty sure it was like real late at night. I had just like commandeered this room. I think it was like a, a breakfast room in... in Langton's Hotel in Kilkenny and just was like, hey, I'm gonna, can I record interviews in here? And they're like, yeah, whatever. But like, the second dinner finished, I was like, that's my room now. So I recorded all the podcasts in there, I think, uh, maybe four or five of them that day and was just like back to back to back and people walking through and being very polite. Um, the only people who ever said a word during an interview can be heard during this podcast. They come in, give a quick well done to Lauren and crack on. But yeah, What's going on, guys? Um, 
it's absolutely miserable here in in Dublin. It's a, a, a rainy Sunday night as I record this because I'm putting out tomorrow for Patreon, for those who want to listen early. Is that you? Well, go to patreon.com forward slash my first gig if you do. Otherwise, very happy that you're listening to this powered by ACAST podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. But yeah, it's a bit of a miserable night. I was going to go for a run tonight. Don't know if you know about me, but I'm a bit of a runner. I've been retired for about a year and a half now, but during the pandemic when we had nothing to do, I just went walking every day. Mad walking, walking for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. And then I got, I was like, this is taking ages. Even though I had nothing but free time. I was like, I'll do this in half the time if I run. So I started running and, you know, it was great. I, I wanted to lose a bit of weight. I wanted to get fit. Um, I like the idea of exercising. If, you know, if exercise is going well and you feel good, then exercise is all right. If you want to sit down and eat cake, then why would you bother exercising? But that's where I was. And I wanted to lose weight. And I lost a ton. I lost like four stone because I got really like when I think I got big into running, I got really big into running, real big. And then, uh, then I they opened the pubs, and then I got real big. Just in general. So real big into running, lose weight, open the pubs, real big, boy. And yeah, I need to get back into it. Anybody out there? Any tips for keeping up exercise? You know, tomorrow's another Monday. So it's it's one of those like, oh, tomorrow's the first Monday the rest of my life. You know, but if we're being honest, it's the 71st Monday of the rest of my life. Like every Monday is the first Monday. It never works out like that. And then you see like Twitter statuses being like, you don't have to wait till Monday. Tomorrow is, the, is your first day. I'm like, hey, mate, it's Friday. Get away from me. I'm ordering a spice box and having pints. Who are you waking up on a Saturday being like, oh, let's start the diet now? No, you start on a Monday, you give up on Thursday, you go mad for the weekend, and that's the cycle. Yeah, so any tips? Anything Anything to keep me going? I, uh, I'm recording this quite late at night because I never want to sleep again because it's uh, October. So Fiona, my girlfriend, obviously wants us to watch scary things. And even then, we just watched this The Watcher on Netflix, which is more just like suspenseful, a bit of a thriller than scary. There are scary elements to it, but you know it's more in your head than bang, boo. But of course, I think everybody in the world now is watching me and not in the way that I am hoping actually happens, you know. Because obviously, I want everybody in the world to want to watch me, but for me to know that they're watching me. That's the whole point of this podcast. I don't do this for the stories. I do this for the adulation, for the fame. Um, or I should say my intent is that. Because I'm alone here, guys. No. But, yeah. Looking at the window and just see the car going by and going, that car is there to surveil me. They want to know what I'm getting up to. So uh, I'm not going to sleep for the next two weeks or however long it is. I have to figure out what to do for next week. I'm going to uh, somebody's wedding next week, and but it's like a Friday wedding, so it's like I gotta leave here on like Wednesday and Thursday, and that's going on all weekend. So, might be doing back to back podcast records 
tonight and tomorrow, but we'll see. Why worry about next week when we've got tonight right in front of us? Tonight, I'm going to have myself a real good time. I feel alive. Um, yeah. Fun chat. It's a bit of a short one today. I'll keep it short here at the top as well. Um, all I can really say is, yeah, it was recorded a couple of years ago. And Lauren's been flying since, obviously, the pandemic put a pause on a lot of things. She had a lot of upwards momentum at the time of recording and then the pandemic kind of slowed everything down for everybody but you know when you're on that initial climb that can be the hardest fall because once you're up there you're up there for the for the for the most part you know you can you can resume a bit but when you're up there you have to almost like remind people here i'm on the way back up and that's exactly what she did this summer in edinburgh in august for the edinburgh fringe her show it is what it is it is what it is. Uh, yeah, that's right. I was, it is what it uh, is. it? No, it is what it is. It was nominated for the best show at the Edinburgh Fringe, which, you know, is nothing to scoff at. So if you get a chance, go see it. There's some dates. I have the dates here in front of me. Um, I saw she just did a hometown show in Newcastle in the stand not too long ago and has the Edinburgh stand coming up at the end of this month with dates in Nottingham, Liverpool and Leicester next month before a run at the Soho Theatre at the end of this year, December 7th, 8th, 9th and 10th at the Soho Theatre in London. And yeah, I think I was speaking to her before uh, the pandemic about coming over to Dublin to do a show, so maybe we might do that next year. Who knows? We'll see. Um, But while you're waiting for that, how about we listen to a podcast? Let's just get into it, guys. Let's just get into it, you know? The door's open. Walk on in. Close your eyes. Walk into the room. And let the big arms of the My First Gig podcast welcome you. Sit you down. As you listen to this week's episode of My First Gig with Lauren Patterson. You're just back from Australia. Just is back it? from Australia and New Zealand, and I got in Montreal All the in way about to Kilkenny. six weeks. Yeah, both both equally similar <laughs> places, equally exotic. Yeah, and you go to Montreal then for Montreal, just for last, is it? Yep, so That's I do exciting. a week there, and then up to Edinburgh for the next one. Is it a brand new show again? Brand new show, yeah. As as yet unwritten. As yet unwritten. I was going to say, how did you juggle being away and all that and yeah, writing the show? But it's terrifying because you want to try new stuff, but then you're like. I'm in a different country for the first time and being paid to be here, I can't just drop new shit in. Like, that's so... Like, I wouldn't drop new stuff in on a, like, proper weekend club night at home. And I'm like, I can't do that. No, I've got to do my best stuff. And then you're like, well, when do I try new stuff? And then I got back and I was jet lagged and now it's today. And I was like, oh, my God. When do you write new shit? <laughs> Did you have a chance to uh, go around the town at all today? No, I'm going to go around tomorrow. See, a lot of acts come over here. And especially once you maybe haven't gigged in, in Ireland before, then they come to this little tiny town. Yeah. It's one street. And they're like, how is a hugely international comedy festival yeah, not just bizarre. existing here, but succeeding for Probably 20 years now? Yeah. yeah. It's quite, it's it's quite mad. But um, let's go back and uh, chat about your, your your first gig. Yeah. But first, before that, do you, do you have any memory of your, your first memory of comedy at all? I remember watching Only Fools and Horses with my dad, which I know isn't stand-up, but like, it made us laugh and like sure. I like just the 
um, like always call him Rodney Dave. And it was so stupid, but I was just like, that's funny. That's not his name. Because <laughs> I was like a kid when I was watching it and like uh, the, the screwing in the chandelier and the wrong one for just stupid stuff like that. And I think that's where I got my sense of humor from like watching like, and they used to let us watch um, the royal family, things like that. Proper like classic British comedies. And I remember being really little, like maybe six and I was sick off school and my dad let us bring the duvet downstairs, which is a classic sign that you're not well in a working class family. Um, he made us chicken soup and he put the Jolly Boys out in episode of Only Fools and Horses on. And I think my dad was having the best sick day with us because he was like, oh my God, I'm just getting to chill in the living room and watch the telly I want to watch. And I remember watching that and proper loving it. And I must have been so young then. It was great. Best sick day ever. Yeah, nice. <laughs> what about uh, scene comedy then? Do, do you remember the first time you... I not went to stand see up again, Russell Howard's at the City Hall in Newcastle, which is still a pretty big venue, it's 2,000, but obviously compared to what he plays now, it's like half that, even smaller. Um, I remember I was right at the back, I was in the two seats that are normally the disabled seats, but they were the last two seats available, and I'd seen him, I think I'd seen his live at the Apollo set when I was about 14, and I was like, he's re- he just looked like he was having such a good time, so we got these last two tickets to see him. I remember it was the first time I'd seen proper like live comedy like someone doing someone off the telly kind of thing and I was like this is this is amazing like just the atmosphere of being in like live comedy for the first time I like I was like I've never felt anything like this I've never experienced anything like this because it's one thing sitting watching it on the telly with your man on a Saturday sure. night but then being, being with 2,000 people all laughing at it and I was like what must it feel like for him to have all these people laughing at him and I remember wanting to cute and meet him um, but my friend who I was with, her dad was picking us up and she didn't want to wait around for him because we were 14 and we had school the next day. And I, the one thing I regret to this day is not just getting in the queue and meeting him because no, like I've stood next to him at a festival, but I fangirled and couldn't say anything. And I was like, ah, <laughs> oh, I wish I'd met him. One day. One day, yeah, of course. <laughs> you mentioned there you wondered what it'd be like to be up there yeah. and, and, and getting that, that kind of reaction. So for, first first time you see live comedy you're starting to think what is that like yeah yeah did, did you ever think did like was, was that a different uh, kind of feeling to wanting to do it yeah was it more curiosity rather than a kind of a desire i think like because i always liked making people laugh but i had like a drama background i was in drama groups i went all that kind of thing so i always like to look for the laughs but with other people sure so i'd be doing like funny little improvs or stuff like that and i was bouncing off other people but i was like that's just him and i was like that must be amazing and i knew i liked to make people laugh but i never envisaged i didn't even know how i would get into anything like that but the more sort of like comedy i watched the funnier i would try and be in the drama groups but instead of just being funny like in class I would try and make funny little quit and I started to try and be funny as an individual and then at my drama group they started to do um like a stand-up course for kids that must have been like a year later or something so I was probably about 15 and I was like I might try it like I might give it a go because at the time it was just like a fun thing to do on a Wednesday when you're a teenager like a nerdy little teenager like me likes drama groups and I remember doing it for the first time and I was like oh yeah this isn't this is I always thought I like to make people laugh in a drama context but I was like no I, I like to make people laugh on my own I don't need anyone else fuck these guys <laughs> I want to do it by myself I loved it so yeah so what what can I flick the switch for you that uh you like making people laugh you obviously had a bit of a performance background yeah that that's transitioning into you you know going out there and doing your first gig did the course offer a gig at the end of it like so we used do? to do it for like um 
the other kids in the youth theatre and all these like little when the kids at the end of the term would show their plays they might have we would do like a little bit of stand up um, but obviously it was nothing like major it was in front of like parents and kids kind of thing but almost like a school talent show but I remember I started to like obsessively look into comedy competitions and who'd done them and who placed where and which names I recognised and oh what year did they do it and oh look it's taken them this long and I really liked um, Daniel Sloss and he was only a couple of years older than me maybe like three years older than us and I think he'd done So You Think You're Funny when he was maybe like 17 and I was like oh so he's young and he did and it was the first kind of young young person I'd seen in comedy and I was like but he's young and he's doing all right there's obviously a way in for me somewhere and because I saw his name on this competition list I was like I'm gonna do that competition but I decided to wait till I was 18 because uh, um, I was like doing my A-levels and all that thing and I was like when I'm 18 I'm old enough to go into pubs and clubs I'm gonna do it so I was 18 in the December and I entered in the, the audition was in the May May 31st pretty much six years ago and that was my first gig and I was a dickhead and got to the semi-finals off one gig <laughs> I was hammered in a field at tea in the park in Scotland and they rang us up and they were like yeah we've, you've got a place in the semi-finals and I was like oh no, I was just doing it for the stage time for the ex- I hadn't done it because I wanted to win I'd done it because I was like this must be the way into comedy you do competitions and that was the only competition I knew of and I knew it was for people who'd been going a year but I was like well I've been going one gig yep I'll just do it get a bit of stage time and then maybe I'll find my way from there and I was like oh you can give it to someone else and they were like no no you're, you're doing to pass it, it up. <laughs> and so then I panicked and was like I need to find more gigs and that was the kick up the arse for us to like really get into it wow what what made you think that it was uh what made you look to competitions like if you if you weren't aware of stand-up how had you become familiar with competitions because I started to watch so when I was about when I was that age Michael McIntyre's comedy roadshow was on so that's probably where I saw Daniel and then you only like look people up, look on their Wikipedia, and I'd be like, yeah. oh, and you see certain competitions like popping up, multiple acts would have done similar things. So if you read six comics you've seen on telly and all of them have done this competition, your little child brain goes, well, clearly, if I do that competition, then that is how I become a comedian. That is how I, and I knew it. when I started, I never wanted to be on telly and I never went in these things to win, but I was like, but that's the route these comics have taken. They've all done competitions, I guess. I guess this is what I have to do. So I did a load of competitions. Like that was the only one I did in the first year. And then I focused on getting some more stage time under my belt. And then after that year, I did like every competition under the sun, did them multiple times. I was just like, this is how people get. I'd looked at the names on those lists and I was like, if you're good, this is how you get noticed. And I was like, I'm going to keep going until I'm good enough to be noticed. How, how did you go about writing for that? For, well, first, uh, where was that first gig? That's so you think it funny. was in a pub in Newcastle, which ironically, when I went to uni there, became my local pub. It was in Heaton, which is like a East End of Newcastle, and it was like the room above a pub. And I was on with Lost Voice Guy, who's now in the finals of Britain's Got Talent. He was at that gig that night. Um, most of the others, I don't think, have kept it up. Um, and I, yeah, it was literally room above a pub. It's interesting to see him 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 doing well now. Yeah, yeah. so chuffed, so chuffed for him. It is the break he needs, a hundred percent. Really, nice. will be well off it. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Uh, how did you go about writing? So, because I'm guessing, you know, you, you, you've waited from 15, 16 to, to your 18. Yeah. So you're probably not doing the same material you did for the, yes. for the parents so I went to kids. see um, a lot of live comedy in that time. So I went to see, like, Russell Howard live. I started to go... Um, like I'd keep an eye out to see which comedians were coming to town. I'd I'd watch comedians on the telly and then hope they would come to Newcastle. And I used to go and see a lot of the Edinburgh previews at the theatre where I did my drama group. Because at the time, um, the stand had only just opened. So obviously that's now like the prominent comedy club in Newcastle. But at the time, a lot of the comedians used to go to the theatre where my drama group was because it was a nice small little theatre and it had a studio space. And I used to get cheap tickets for being in the youth theatre. So I saw Sarah Millican there. Um, I saw Chris Ramsey there. I saw Jason Cook there. Alan Cochran. Um, who else? Kai Humphreys. I saw like loads of really good comic Gavin Webster. And I used to go and watch a lot there and just really absorb other people. And just, I think when you learn what makes you laugh, you learn what kind of comic you want to be. And likewise, the stuff that didn't make us laugh, I was like, well, then that's clearly not my kind of humor so that's not the kind of stuff like I didn't really like the you know the super at the time I didn't like um not that I wouldn't laugh at jokes about sex but I'd always find it a little bit more awkward because I was like I was young I couldn't relate to it as much so when I was starting to write I was like well I don't want to be particularly like crude or blue because at the time that's not who I was whereas now obviously the older I get like there came a point when I started to feel comfortable talking about sex on stage and I was like it's because in my adult life I'm now more comfortable talking about sex whereas when I was 15 I was like huh what sex no so I would never have spoke about it on stage and I just learned the kind of things like like Russell Howard how he just looked like he was having so much fun on stage and it was just such like not trivial things he was talking about but just such relatable like everyday stuff and I was like yeah that's what I want to do I want to just talk about my life and have people click with it and have things that people resonate with do you find the drama background do you think that helped or do you think what how do you think that affected I never realized how much it had helped until I went to Edinburgh last year until I could sit down because it was the first time I'd done an hour show and having that drama background I was like I know how to structure a show I might not know how to structure a comedy show but I know how to put a show together it needs a beginning a middle and end it needs you know like a hook all the way through to keep people interested it needs to not all be on one level and just applying everything I knew about how I would approach like a drama text I was like well it's just that but with my comedy materials so I looked at all the stuff I had and I was like that's clearly the stuff that goes at the start that's about me that's about my job my family that's all introductory stuff and then I was like the meaty bit the middle that's that's the story that's what I want to say that's what I want to tell and then the end has to be that really peak like it has to build up to that and just putting everything I knew about putting a show together I'd never thought about tying that in with comedy and I was like oh my god I do know how to do this like 
Whereas at first I was like, how do you even approach writing an hour? I've never done an hour's comedy. But then I was like, yeah, but I've done hour plays and I've done, I know how to do stuff like that. And I was like, ah, it all goes together. That's interesting. Yeah. Usually people talk about, you know, being comfortable on stage or something. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting to hear yeah. the actual, how it helps your writing and your structuring. Yeah. The thing. And that's the one thing I noticed because I read all my reviews after Edinburgh and a lot of people commented on the structure. And I was like, yeah, I didn't realize how good I was at doing structure because I'd never done an hour before and I was like I do think that drama background helps and knowing knowing how to keep people interested on stage for an hour from a different sort of skill set and then just applying that to comedy very useful I want to direct shows next year because I don't want to take a show but I was like "Mm, I really want to give directing shows a go that first show did you tell people about it did you invite people did you keep it kind of a secret I went with the boy I was going out with at the time and I didn't tell anyone else until I got the phone call to say I'd got the semi-finals. So I maybe got the phone call two months after the gig and then I was like, ah, so then I told people, oh, like a couple of months ago I did this thing and now I'm going to Edinburgh. Oh, surprise. And then I did a couple of gigs, maybe two or three gigs before I went up there but didn't I think my mom came to one but I didn't sort of like publicize it and then I started uni in the September did a couple more gigs at the end of that year but still in that first year I probably did half a dozen gigs and then when it got to the the new year and obviously you've made your friends at uni people started to find out that I was doing it and what I did and I remember one week going to the stand and there being like 35 people off my course and my course was only 70 people strong so literally half the course had turned up and I was like oh my god no like I didn't want anyone to know this is horrible but it went so well and they were obviously drama students so they were really loud and laughed at everything I was like that's what you need in the crowd 35 drama students to have your back (laughs) (laughs) so you didn't do a second gig by the time you got the phone call no not I'd like sort of done one and I was like yeah I enjoyed that that's probably something I'll do again and I kind of put it on the back burner and then got the phone call and was like oh so I think I did I did the stand and maybe one or two other gigs before I went to Edinburgh and then probably only two more gigs that year because I was still so new and I was like well where do, how do you get gigs where do you go so I kind of did the stand for that first year first six months then when it got into 2013 I started to look further afield and like just literally googling like gigs in Manchester, gigs in like places I knew I could get to on a megabus or a train, like gigs in Leeds and I just sent email after email and obviously gradually started to get rid and a lot of places wouldn't reply but I would keep pestering, I was persistent, I was like no I'm gonna do it, spent all my student loan on megabuses and, <laughs> and that's hard. BMAs, yeah. <laughs> Did you go straight from school to uni? Yeah, yeah. So you were very, very young starting out. Yeah, so when I was waiting for the, so you think funny results, or when I went to the semi-finals, I was waiting for my A-level results. So I think that was literally my bio on their like website that year was like, by the time you've read this, I'll either have passed or failed my A-levels. Like that's, I was doing bloody exams. I was so, I was just a kid, like stupid. <laughs> what was it like being, being a kid? Because, uh, you know, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a struggle for, for a lot of women to start the, the way that it's conditioned and even just the fact that it's just so overpopulated. Totally. But being such a young woman as well. And I, especially at the time, I looked so much younger than what I was. So I was 18, but probably looked maybe 15 at a push. Like I looked like a child on stage. And I think in a way it did his favours because I never got heckled because I think people were so taken aback that they maybe gave us the benefit of the doubt without realising what they were doing. Whereas I think some people, like, I think if I'd been an older woman, not even old as in old, but just 
older than 18, I think people might be more likely to be like, well, you shit, oh, shows your tits, oh, this. But because people are kind of on the back foot, I've then got those precious few minutes to make the impression I wanted to make. And I think it actually did his favours. I did get patronised a lot. I'd walk into green rooms and people would just not acknowledge us. Or they'd be like, um, oh, are you such and such a sister? Are you such and such a daughter? And I'd be like, no, I'm I'm Lauren. I'm on the bill. And there'd be loads of time when I used to do gong shows. I'd stand waiting to be given my place on the show. And they'd miss me out. And then I'd be like, you haven't given me a slot? And they'd be like, oh, oh, who are you? And I was like, I'm Lauren. You know, the only girl's name on the list. And funnily enough, the only girl. But people would just think I was like someone's sister tagging along. Like I once got refused entry to a gig I was on <laughs> in Newcastle because I hadn't brought my ID with us because I didn't plan on drinking. I was doing a gig then leaving and they wouldn't let us in. And I was like, but I'm I'm on the lineup. And they were like, need to prove you're 18. So I had to run back to me halls of residence, ring the promoter on the way and be like, I did get to the gig, but they won't let me in kind of thing. Get me ID, go back. And I was like, God, I bet other people don't have this problem. I'm going to prove how old they are to get into their own gig. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely unique. Talk me through the months before you go up on stage the first time. Yeah, oh, I was terrified. I was really nervous. And I remember thinking, as long as I remember the words, then that's fine. Like, all I've got to do is get the right words out in the right order kind of thing. I was like, if people laugh, that's a bonus. I was like, at this stage, it's not even about making the people laugh it's just about remembering what I've written like and then if they laugh great if not at least you did it at least you remembered it like I was so scared and those nerves never obviously they've like decreased a little bit but it's like when you feel your heart getting faster and like your stomach starts to clench and you're like why am I getting so nervous I've done this a million times like oh don't think it ever goes away do you do you remember your first joke that night or the gist of it Ah, I remember I had a joke about Lady Gaga because it was around the time she wore that dress made all out of meat. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And I was on about like um, how like all the girls at school had like gone mental and loved Lady Gaga for wearing a dress made of meat. And I was like, oh, if I wore a dress like that, they'd kick the shit out of us. And I had a joke about um, my science teacher telling us if I did... Um, science at A level, there'd be an A in it for us. And I was like, oh, there's an A in chlamydia, but I don't want to take that on. Like, kind of, I've always been, so even though I didn't want to talk about sex or crude stuff, I was always slightly, slightly on the edge of being a little bit cheeky, um, but never sort of fully delved into that until I got a bit older. But I remember feeling dead cheeky because I was telling the joke that I had chlamydia in it. And I was like, I'm so naughty. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me any memories you have of the performance, like while you're up there and. I remember not realising how bright it would be because I was used to being on stage. I'd done like plays and stuff since I was 12. But I remember like obviously just that spotlight being on you and I'd never really taken the audience into consideration because obviously when you do a drama piece or a play, you're looking at your actors and you're looking at other people. You're very rarely making direct eye contact because it's like the fourth fourth walls there. And it was the first time I was like, oh, oh, there's, there's people like, oh, and oh yeah, and I'm not, playing to other people on stage the people I'm playing to are and it was that weird thing and I've actually six years on only just started to be able to do it is like looking people in the eye I've got a real bad habit and especially from the start because I was so nervous I would look over everybody because I wasn't that's where I was used to looking as a actor I was just out and not at anybody 
and I had to like just slowly like train my brain to to look at people but then it would freak us out that I was looking at people and I was like oh my god like no I shouldn't be able to see these people and that's that's the weirdest thing I still find is going out on stage and being like oh I can see you like this is weird because obviously in a play it's just the audience is usually pretty dark you can't see anyone you don't interact with anyone you just you're in your own little bubble but with this I was like oh no this is weird. Turn the lights down. I don't want to see them. <laughs> <laughs> you said there that you just wanted to make sure that you said what you wanted to say and yeah. that a laugh would be a bonus. Yeah. So how did it feel to, you know, get that laugh and then go back to watching Russell Howard and going, right, I wonder what that's yeah, like. It was realizing such a relief because I was like, because obviously because I'd gone into it with no ulterior motives. I was like, this is just me trying stand up for the first time and possibly me starting a fun new hobby. So there was no pressure on it compared to when I did competitions later and I was like, I'm in this to win this kind of thing. Um, and I remember getting that first laugh and kind of being taken aback by it and being like, what? Hang on. You weren't supposed to. Well, not that they weren't supposed to laugh, but I was like, oh, I didn't think anyone would laugh. And it kind of like, it, you don't realize how sort of tense you've been until you get that first laugh and you feel your body just like deflate a little bit kind of thing, but in a good way. And you're like, oh shit, yeah, this is, this is fine this is okay like just have fun with it just enjoy it and then I remember going back to watching live comedy of that and that's when it flipped and I was like instead of thinking oh, I wonder what it's like to get like that I was like I want to get those laughs like thank you <laughs> <laughs> um yeah I was like I went from being like oh I wonder what it must be like for people to laugh like that to being like I want to be on that stage and I want people to laugh at me and at first I just wanted to do it as a hobby I didn't think that I thought the comedians you saw on telly were the only like proper professional comedians I thought the ones you saw like in the comedy clubs I thought they would just had other jobs and which obviously some of them do I know that now but I didn't realize they were professional comedians as well I thought they were like me just doing it for a hobby but happening to get sort of like like better gigs out of it and then it was only when I got my first paid one I was like what what and they were like, yeah, we can pay you for it. And I was like, oh, people like me don't get paid. I'm I'm not a proper comic. And they were like, no, but you could be. Like, so we're giving you your first rung on the ladder kind of thing. And I was like, oh, shit. So I could do this as a job. Like, people could pay us. This could be a proper thing. And everyone was like, has this never crossed your mind? <laughs> and I was like, well, no, I was doing it as a hobby. I never got into it thinking I would do it as a job. It was something I enjoyed. And like I say, I just looked at comics on the telly. And I was like, yeah, they're the ones who do it as a job. And I just hadn't even considered that middle ground of the circuit comedy. And I was like, fuck, yeah. I don't know why I hadn't put two and two together. Like, obviously, these are professional comedians. Like, this is amazing. If you could go back, Heaton's? Yes, yeah. May 2012? Yeah. And right before you're going on stage, the MC's gone up. You know that you're next. You're yeah. getting those feelings. Your heart's starting to go faster. If you could just take yourself aside for a second yeah. and say something to yourself before you went up, looking back now, what would you oh, say? I would tell myself to calm down and enjoy it because this is the start of a very long roller coaster and this is the first up definitely <laughs> no, that's nice so that, yeah that was your first gig yeah first one And there we have it. That is your episode for this week. As I said, a bit of a short one, even the end there and the start. We just kind of get into it. Uh, it was late at night. I'm pretty sure I had a few beers. Oh, yeah, I did. And I recorded a lot of podcasts 
Lauren had just done two shows that evening. Not that we didn't half-ass it, but we just didn't, you know. We didn't hang around doing the intro chat for too long. We didn't exchange too many pleasantries at the end. It was like, here, here's the pot, here you go. Is that all you want? Right, good luck. And sometimes that's all we need, you know. If you're on a longer commute on the way into work and you're like, oh, God, why is this only like 35 minutes? Oh, and I need like another 10 minutes. Well, look, do you know what? Take those 10 minutes now. We didn't waste our time with the pod that day. Don't waste your time with the pod today. Well, I hope you've wasted this time, but take the next little few minutes to just sit there and think, wow, I would have more of this podcast. And I would have it sooner if I just subscribed on Patreon. I went to patreon.com for slash my first gate pod and I paid just five euro a month. Five euro a month I'd get. I'd get extended. I'd get it ad free. I'd get it early. And they're coming. Bonus episodes only to be heard on the five euro Patreon. So what are you waiting for, guys? Go on over there. And while while you're doing that, go on over to my first gate pod on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. On Snaptalk. I just did that joke, didn't I? Such a dad joke, just getting the social media wrong. <sighs> what did I say? Snaptalk? Everyone knows it's Tick Chat. Hey! Did it twice. Uh, can't keep a good man down. Can't keep a good man down. Thanks so much to my guest this week, Lauren Patterson. Uh, as I said, go to lauren-patterson.com for slash gigs to see where she is. Soho Theatre in London coming up in December. And, yeah, what will we do next week? Who will be the guest next week? I'm looking at the list of recorded acts. Some fantastic ones. Absolutely bleeding deadly ones. I think next week, Lauren had mentioned going to Montreal for Just for Laughs. Well, I recorded a podcast this summer with a comedian called Lara Bites. Uh, she was over for the Paddy Power Comedy Festival and she dropped into Cherry after the festival to practice her set for a recording of new faces at Just for Laughs. So, next week, tune in for Lara Bites on My First Gig Pod. I'm Dwayne Dugan, at Dwayne Dugan on everything. Now YouTube. I always had a YouTube, but they only introduced handles last week. Enough for everybody. I've got a few channels and they won't give me handles, but for my personal one, at Dwayne Dugan. That's D-U-A-N-E-D-O-O-G-A-N. And uh, yeah, look, as I said, we're going to keep this tight, keep this short, keep this smooth and slow. If you had fun, just tell people. If you had a lot of fun, start giving me your money. Um, but thank you. Joining the podcast this week. Uh, give it up once again, everyone, for Lauren Patterson. Round of applause. There we go. I hope you're on the bus clapping, everybody, and tune in next week for Lara Bites. But while you wait for that, head on over to Acast. Head on over to wherever you get your podcast, And we've got a whole rake of interviews waiting for you. I'm going to read them all out to you now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. all of them? Yeah, every single one of them. Paul Smith, Mary Beth Barone, Rhys James, Flo and John, Alison Spittle. Joe Lysett, Jango Gold, Carmen Lynch, Tom Rhodes, Kate Willett, Mary DeRosa, Adam Clayton Holland, Emma Woolman, Todd Barry, Langston Kerman, Kerry Pritchard McLean, Sean Walsh, Jamali Maddox, Stewart, Goldsmith, Catherine Bohart, Laura Lex, Reginald D. Hunter, Art Lohannon, and James Acaster. And there's more coming. And there's more coming to the bonus on, pay- on Patreon. And if you want more of me, if you've enjoyed 
what you've heard from me, then you can follow me home uh, after this podcast. Um, although we're kind of apart when we're listening. Give me a text and let me know where you are because if I'm busy, maybe you shouldn't follow me home. But uh, until then, have a good night, folks. We'll see you next week. All the best tools. Good luck. See you. Good night. Adios. It's the My First Gig Podcast. Whoa. You've been listening to the My First Gig with Dwayne Dugan on Acast. Follow online at My First Gig Pod or at Dwayne Dugan. For classic episodes, ad-free, early access and more, head to myfirstgigpod.com. This is My First Gig with Dwayne Dugan, powered by Acast. Enjoy. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.